I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Welcome to the 114th episode of the Weave Podcast. This week on the podcast, I'm talking to Susan Snyder, the founder of Mad River Fiber Mill. Mad River Fiber Arts and Mill is a full-service fiber processing mini-mill in Waitsfield, Vermont, working with wool, alpaca, llama, mohair, and even angora fiber. In this conversation, we are going to talk about Susan's journey into the world of fiber, what it was like to start a mill, and some of the challenges and joys she has faced along the way. Welcome to the podcast, Susan. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you very much, Sarah. I look forward to being here. Can you start out by introducing yourself and sharing how you found your way towards fiber arts? Sure. Uh, My name is Susan Snyder, and I am originally from New Jersey and got uh, came up to Vermont via Connecticut and so forth. And fiber arts have always been really a a vocation of mine. Um, I learned to sew when I was a teenager, and it kind of went from there. for the journey, it was uh, basically when I was in high school, uh, I was a rotary exchange student. So that was during my junior year in high school. I was 16 and I decided to apply to be an exchange student. I ended up living in Sweden. And when I was there, of course, you go to school and part of at those in those days, they still had home economics. So one of the things the instructor said was, okay, you know, you need to do something. So let's t- go see what you're interested in over there. And I walked in, they had sewing, which I already knew how to sew. And they had cooking, which I knew how to cook. And then I walked into this big room full of looms. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's what I want to do. So for the next year, literally for the next year, I, I was in the weaving class in their high school, uh, twice a week, I believe it was, um, and that was it. The host family I lived with, the mother there, she was a weaver. Uh, one of my school friends, her mother was a weaver. So I was just smitten from the beginning at 16 years old. What a yeah. cool experience. What yeah. was it like learning weaving in Sweden? How was the, how was it taught? Um, in Swedish, obviously, and basically you have a room full of looms and it's still pretty much how large weaving schools are today. And the looms are at different stages of setup. So some of them are warped. Some of them you just weave on. There's different patterns. So a good part of the day was actually weaving on looms, more like a round robin. So you, you would go from loom to loom to learn the different techniques. Hmm. And uh, then there was also classroom instruction, you know, how to read drafts, um, structures, learning more about weaving structures, color theory, all that, that type of thing. And, wow. and then when the loom was, when the piece was finished, then everyone, of course, you cut off, for example, if it was a table runner, there might be 10 table runners on that loom. And of course, then everyone gets to keep their, their piece. So that was fun. Was it a popular class in your high school? Um, I believe I remember it being so. There was probably about 10 or 15 looms in the, in the classroom. And I remember them being all quite, um, all very busy. You know, in Scandinavia, even today, weaving is, is very much part of their culture. It's very much top of mind. A lot of people are familiar with it. A lot of people's mothers and grandmothers had, had done it. So it's, it's a much, it's much more aware there than it is here in the United States. 
was it being taught um, as an art or a craft or both in the same, or is that distinction not really made in Sweden? Um, in those days, and we're talking about the mid seventies here, so it was quite some time ago. And because it was very much part of their, what they call Hemsleuden, which is their house, which we would call arts and crafts. It means their home crafting. So when this, the history of it is that the Scandinavians, they had to weave in order to survive. They had to weave their own cloths and things like that. The rag rugs, which people are very familiar with, using scraps of fabric and things like that. Um, so we didn't really deal with a lot of the art of it. It was really more or less just learning the technical side of things, structure, weave structures, uh, standard Scandinavian patterns and the history behind them, things like that. Hmm. Yeah. And then how did your weaving journey continue when you came back to the United States? So when I came home, I decided, okay, I want a loom. And <laughs> um, and my father kind of looked at me and I, I weave on Glenrocas. That's, that's what I learned on and that's what I wove on. And um, I just kept at it. Now, this was, I think, this is like the late 70s now. So I think Handwoven had just been published. Uh, it was just, it was, it was, no internet, of course, so it was very difficult to get any type of information or yarns or anything like that. And and in the United States at that time, people were more into the homespun, macrame, big ponchos, that type of weaving versus the fine, weave, weaving with fine yarns and cottons and things like that. So I was lucky because I stayed in touch with my girl, school friend's uh, mother and, of course, the host mother that I was living with. And um, when the time came, she they actually ordered the loom for me, and we arranged mm. to we arranged to have it shipped uh, from Sweden. Uh, at the time, I was still living in New Jersey, so we actually had it shipped to Brooklyn. And took my father's truck and went and picked it up. <laughs> what an experience! <laughs> yeah, and I, that, it's still, I still have the loom, and it's my, it's my baby. So, um, and then you know, through college, you know, you kind of weave on and off through your life. Things get busy, life happens, and then in the early '90s, I ended up moving to Connecticut, and I got very involved with the Hand Weavers Guild of Connecticut, and I was a member there for almost 25 years. And that was just my learning curve. It was just exponential because they met five times. It was a very active guild. I believe just like in Boston, the Boston Weavers Guild is very active with, um, with workshops and classes and, and the meetings that they have when they meet uh, during the, the year. There's all types of learning opportunities. So that really got me involved with the entire with the weaving community in Connecticut, New England. I, I went up to the New England Weaver Seminar News. Uh, I was going there when they held it, held it at Merrimack College. Um, it's been mm. at Smith College for the last, I don't even know, 10, 15 years. So I just kept taking um, advantage of all, of just kind of, you know, involving myself in that community. And I actually went back to, I went back to Denmark um, to a weaving school in Denmark and spent a couple of weeks there in the nineties also. And that was also phenomenal. That was a similar setup where you have a room full of looms and you learn different techniques and things like that. But that was just really wonderful also. So, yeah. And what kind of weaving and equipment and, 
and fibers do you find yourself most drawn to using these days? Well, I, I definitely, I learned on Glimrocas. I learned the Scandinavia way. So I weave on a Glimroca loom. I have two of them. One is, actually, they're both countermarch uh, setups, but they did start with counterbalance, and I just ended up buying the countermarch attachment for them. And they're just my favorite looms. I also actually have a jack loom, which I don't really use at all. Um, and I do like to weave the Scandinavian aesthetic, so I'm very much into the finer wools and cottons. I love to do household items, table runners, blankets. And lately, I've also been kind of getting into rugs, which I think are very hmm. cool. I've, I've picked up tapestry also uh, since we've been uh, in lockdown here, so I'm, which kind of relates to the rug part. So I've kind of it's evolving, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And you founded the Mad River Fiber Arts Mill in 2016. Um, yep. And I'm curious what prompted you to open it. So the journey continued because where I live here in Waitsfield, uh, Vermont, it's the home of like Sugarbush Ski Resort in Mad River Glen. And I grew up in a family. We were a skiing family. My father brought us up here with our ski club all when, when we were growing up as children and so we all learned to ski so this was this part of Vermont was always um, second home to me and back in 2012 it was just that time in my life where the next chapter where I decided I didn't want to live in Fairfield County Connecticut any longer I was I had worked in the city for 30 years and mm -hmm. I was just ready to move on and just go be where I wanted to be so I you know did the old put the condo up for sale and see what happens and <laughs> a week <laughs> later you know somebody buys it so I had to make a decision and I came up here I bought a, a small house and I was still weaving actively but also during this journey I had taught myself how to spin and mm. then I was spinning and then I was like, okay, now I really want to buy some raw fleeces and try to process it from the beginning through the end, going to all the sheep and wool festivals that, you know, and that kind of thing. And when I got up here, I was like, I was too, I couldn't retire. I was still, I still needed to work. So I'm, I was like, there's no way I'm looking in my closet and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wash all this fleece in my lifetime, you know, in the kitchen, <laughs> in, the, in the kitchen sink. I mean, there's just too much of it. So I knew that these, these types of smaller scale mills existed. And, um, I started calling around cause I was like, Oh, I'll just, you know, I'll have them mill it for me. And I discovered there was, you know, eight month wait, 12 month wait. Some mills weren't even taking new customers. And, um, as a business professional, which I have been all my life, um, I thought, ah, oh, this might be a good opportunity. So I started crunching the numbers and found a location right here where I live and went to the bank and the rest is history. So there you go. <laughs> so I think we are missing some steps along the way. <laughs> how did you learn how to operate the equipment and where did you get the equipment from and so, what was that process like? Yeah. So it's been an extraordinarily steep learning curve. Uh, the advantage that I had is that as a weaver and a spinner, I understood yarn. Mm. Um, so the output was okay, but there's still a lot to learn about that. So we 
Uh, I ended up buying equipment is from Belfast Mini Mills. It's a Canadian company. They're they're located in Prince Edward Island. They've been in business about well probably over 25 years now, and they sell this equipment all over the world. And it's meant for the smaller scale operations. So I bought what they call the turnkey full mill. That came with all the equipment. That came with a week's. A, two or three weeks of training at different times during the year, uh, custom, you know, uh, maintenance, uh, technical support, that type of thing. And you just really had to learn from trial and error. It That's really, and I, you know, I've, I've always been very handy and good with me- mechanical. And I think a lot of us weavers are because weaving is also using a, t- a, a tool, you know, and mm-hmm. we tend to be sometimes more mechanical or technical and, um, yeah, so it's really it's been four years now, and you know we're still we're still learning because what we do we consider our, we're what we call an artisan fiber mill. So we we um, we do custom we do two things we do custom work and we have our retail, but on the custom side where we're where we're making yarn for customers or small or farmers. Um, we do everything. So we do all the different breeds of sheep. We do alpaca. We've done llama. We do mohair. We do different blendings. And that's quite, uh, I wouldn't say it's unique, but it's not so common in the, in the small mill world because some people just want to focus on alpaca. Some people just want to do Shetland. Some people don't even want to touch Icelandic. And um, we we have taken the time to teach ourselves how to spin all of these different breeds of sheep, which has proven to be, well, first of all, it's a lot of fun because it keeps things interesting all the time. Um, But it has now allowed us to really become yarn designers, you know, and experts in advising our customers on the best yarn designs and the best types of yarns that would be appropriate for the breed of sheep that they raise, the quality of the fiber that they're raising, and um, what they're looking, what their end use of the products are, whether there's, are they going to sell them, is it for their own use, and so forth. So it's, uh, it's really just been keeping at it every day is kind of how we've learned. <laughs> That's amazing. And yeah. so who are, who's your primary group of customers? Is it the farmers who are making yarn from their own wool or are you working with yarn designers and yarn shops or how does that work? It's twofold. So on the custom work side, it's, it's small farmers. We are, our, our batches tend to be anywhere from a hundred pounds and down. Our minimum is like five pounds. So we can work with the hobby farmer who's got one or two sheep that just wants some yarn to play with for themselves. And our customers, they're kind of across the board. There are some who they, they're raising their, they are fiber farms basically. So they're raising their sheep for the fiber and they have their own channels where they're marketing it also. And then we have um, on the other side of the house is what we call our retail slash wholesale piece. And that's where we are designing our own brand of yarns under the Mad River Fiber Arts and Mill label. And our focus on that side of the house is, at at the current moment, is to create yarns only from 100% wool sourced in Vermont. 
Hmm. So we have, um, and we've been doing that, I guess, for the last two or three years. And we now have a handful of farmers who we work with. And every year we would buy, we'll buy their clip and create yarns from Vermont wool. And that's actually has, it's taken on, uh, quite well. Well, it did take on quite well. And, um, so, um, we've actually been thinking about, you know, how do we expand on that side of things? You know, do we make it a New England yarn or, you know, what kind of, how, however we try to define it? We do all the, we do all different size yarns. That's another uh, unique aspect of what we do. We can do everything from lace weight up to core spun to lopy style yarns. And we also do all the dyeing in-house. So um, all of our yarns are for under Mad River are dyed because our customers' yarns that we feature tend to just be mostly the natural colors. So we um, kind of shake it up a little bit and do some dyeing so what is your dyeing setup not much it's just (laughs) it's just a little kitchen um that we have in the mill we don't we're we're still trying to grow that part of the business so we have plans to to put in a you know a dye kitchen so to speak that we can do more quantity because right now we just we just don't have the ability to do uh, enough quantity of yarns that makes it profitable you know to to sell large i mean we we have sold wholesale a few times but it's not you know it's not hundreds and hundreds of pounds we're not quite there yet so yeah and what are the one or two of your favorite yarns that you're making right now or um we actually uh do a what we call a crepe construction yarn and we did not invent the construction you can look it up anywhere it's a three-ply which has a two S and a Z, two Z's and an S twist in it. So it looks a little cable-y. Uh, and that has been really popular. It's been really fun. It has a lot of elasticity to it. It's great for socks. And it's also very strong, well, mostly because we use, using the Vermont wools, where it, it's, a lot of it is Cheviot and, and Dorsets and Romneys and um, more of the medium weight, weight wools. The... Um, let's see, three ply. It's been a lot of fun trying three ply, and the lopi is is really pretty too. Because uh, we, we do a lot of Icelandic, so we do a lot of lopi, which can the colors can just be a lot of fun to work with. Hmm. Yeah. And what do you find the most rewarding about your work in this small fiber mill? Well, I think the most rewarding thing to me is when people say thank you for being here. Uh, a lot of our customers are truly grateful that we are around to help them to do something with their, with the wool that they have. And it's very special. You know, it's a very, it's, I like to say that the yarns that we create, they still, they still retain the character and the love and, and the, the essence of the animals that they're from. So there's a real tangible connection that we feel and I know other people feel when they knit with the yarn or they weave with the yarns it's just a whole different um, feel than getting a a mass produced skein of yarn from Joanne Fabrics or something yeah it totally is yeah it's so that's really the most rewarding thing is that that people are grateful that we're that we're here and what are the biggest challenges and have you have those challenges changed for you over the years 
well, they changed very suddenly in the last few months. I know. I'm months. interested in hearing about that, too, um, how things are going with adapting to COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, so there's two of us here that run the mill. Uh, and it has kind of been that way now for the last couple of years. I have a, I do have an employee and she's, she's trained up now that we can, we can all, both of us can run every machine. And, and the, the most critical machine is the spinner because that's the point of no return. So we can fix everything else. You know, if something's not washed properly or the roving doesn't look good or something. But, uh, once it's spun into yarn, there's no going back. So that's like a really critical piece. So we've really gotten to, we really had gotten to a really great point where production was flowing. We, um, I do all the maintenance on the machines. I take care of them. So everything has been running smoothly, knock on wood. And, um, yeah. So then of course, you know, COVID-19 happened and that basically just stopped retail dead. I mean, there's, you know, yeah. that just stop, stop yeah. short. Um, but it's been interesting because uh, Kathleen, she's the, the staffer, uh, she has got young kids. So she has to be at home now, homeschooling. And the court, and we really can't work together because it's the, the, it's too close quarters. So we couldn't uh, be six feet apart. But actually, we have seen in the last six weeks, really actually an increase in production because I work here during the day. She's She comes in late afternoons and Sundays and we have no distractions. So we have no one coming in to the retail shop. We have the phone isn't really ringing. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's um, we've been kind of surprised how fast production is going through. And what has really surprised me so far is that people aren't canceling their orders. Um, and I check with now with all of our customers, you know, are you sure you want us to continue? And in fact, we have in the last three weeks, I've gotten eight new orders in. So um, life is busy on the farm. That's what they're all telling me. You know, they're basically most of the farmers here, even if you're growing produce or doing whatever, you know, life goes on on the farm. There's really has not been a big change in their routines in their life. So um, let's hope that continues. Yeah. So that's been kind of interesting how that has, has happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. And do you yeah. have other avenues other than your real t retail shop to sell your own yarn or? Well, it, it was part of the business plan for this year to do more, uh, get some kind of e-commerce online shop going, I'm always interested in uh, some yarn. There are some yarn shops in Vermont that carry our product. And I was kind of, that was part of the plan to kind of build that part of the business a little bit more. And uh, what a big part of that though is our customers tend to bring their yarns to the yarn shops to sell. So it has been my philosophy that if I can help them sell their yarns, then they'll be, then they'll need to be repeat and come back mm -hmm. to the mill. And that has actually worked with a, a few of the, um, a few farmers who are serious about actually marketing and, and trying to really earn a living from what they're doing. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're looking to evolve to is probably doing just more of our own yarns and getting it out there i'd like to i really would like to expand the reach of um, of what we're doing just because it's so unique i think you know i did um i had a commission weaving job and we we um it was alpaca and 
she we we spun the yarn for her and she wanted me to weave hand weave on the Gulen Roca, not the nothing mechanical uh some baby blankets and some throws and I did and I I told her and I told everybody I mean I, that was like that was like the most beautiful wonderful weaving piece I ever did because just using that yarn and I used it in the warp too. So we, we spun like a very thin two ply uh, yarn for that would be appropriate for the warp. And um, it was just phenomenal. I was just ecstatic on, on doing it. I just, and I got to tell you, I didn't have one broken warp thread and this was a 15 yard warp with 45, I think it was 44, 45 inches wide. So it was a lot of weaving, but man, it was really, um, it was cool. So then it kind of, that got me thinking that, you know, I'm a weaver, you know, I'm, I'm a weaver, I'm a spinner. And I, what I really would want to do is focus more on trying to expand the yarns that we're making to be more weaving appropriate. And, uh, for that type of weaving, tapestry work, uh, that type of stuff, and not just knitting yarns in general. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious more broadly how running a mill and presumably, you know, you're you're just so much more familiar with all the different kinds of yarn construction and, and you know you know so much about wool now. How has that changed the way your own weaving and artistic work is? Well, I think I think you know, the example of doing the alpaca blanket, I think yeah, I don't think I'm going to buy any more yarn from anywhere. I mean, and I typically mm-hmm. wove with the Scandinavian yarns, and uh, because the, the quality is just is just excellent. And um, but now I really want to explore creating yarns here at the mill to use in weaving at different levels, whether it's again for tapestry or rugs or even some finer yarns for blankets and things like that. So. I think that has really changed. That has changed. Um, my mind around that has changed and thinking of that too. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. where can people go online and on social media to learn more about you and your work? We have our website is madriverfibermill.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook under Mad River Fiber Arts and Mill. And currently those are the three places they can find us. Find us. That's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you have any closing advice or words of wisdom for weavers out there. My advice to weavers would be follow your vision and weave every day. Just weave every day. Whether it's for five minutes or four hours, just sit behind the loom and do something for your craft. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast and to share your story and about your mill. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. To see photos of the Mad River Fiber Mill and some of the beautiful fiber and yarn that we've been talking about on this podcast, as well as links to the Mad River Fiber Mill, please visit our show notes at www.gistyarn.com slash episode hyphen 114. That's G-I-S-T-Y-A-R-N dot com slash episode hyphen 114. Next week on the podcast, LaShawn is speaking with Amalia and Grace of Echo View Fiber Mill. 
Echoview is a spinning mill knitting operation and design house based in Weaverville, North Carolina. They make exceptionally high quality and beautifully designed home goods, accessories, and craft knitting and weaving yarns using natural fibers like wool, alpaca, silk, mohair, and organic cotton. They also support local farmers such as Jessica Sanchez of Rusted Earth Farm, who was featured in episode 92 of this podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode, and until next time, happy weaving!